made a profession of Christ, come right to the edge, but have not yet surrendered their life to Christ, have not yet fully, they haven't taken that next step. They've come right up to the edge. They just won't do it. What is this third warning? It's to those folks, if you're not growing in Christ, there's a big spiritual problem with very dire consequences. That's what this third warning is. Remember the first one is, do not let uh, the ship of life pass on by the harbor of salvation. Or, what you would have in your Bibles, in my Bible, is do not neglect your salvation, right? Do not neglect your salvation. Do not do not think that you have all this time and presume upon God's grace and then just kind of wake up one day and realize that as the last breath is leaving your body that you have not made a decision for Christ. Do not neglect your salvation. Do not let your ship of life pass by the harbor of salvation. The second one, remember, is do not harden your hearts and fail to enter God's rest. Don't do that. Don't harden your hearts be exposed to God's gracious offer to enter his rest again and again and again and again and keep on putting that off. Keep on waiting. Keep on presuming upon grace, upon God's grace. So the author of Hebrews here wants them to know there are very dire consequences for them falling away. Apostasy, that's where we get our English word apostasy from, means to fall away, to fall away. Uh, he says, there are very dire consequences for falling away from the gospel truth that they have been exposed to again and again. And one of the reasons we saw in chapter 5, verse 11, that they have uh, are falling away is they have not been growing because they've become what? Dull of hearing. That word means lazy or sluggish, right? Lazy or sluggish. Uh, but notice again, they were not always that way. They became lazy. So there was a time when they were listening to the word of God, applying it to their lives, clearly because they had made a profession of Christ. However, there also came a time when they ceased doing that. And when they did that, the author of Hebrews said, you've become dull of hearing. You've become lazy. You've become sluggish. How do you become lazy in your hearing, sluggish in your hearing? The moment you stop applying the truths of Scripture to your life, you become dull of hearing. That's what the Bible called dull of hearing. You've become lazy or sluggish. You're hearing the Word of God. You're listening to it again and again and again, but you've ceased to apply it to your life. And remember, it takes both parts. If we're just gathering up knowledge... That's one of the things that happens in a Bible church, right? You get all of this knowledge, all of this knowledge, all of this knowledge. Well, that's wonderful. But as Paul says, knowledge puffs up, right? If we cease to, uh, if we cease applying it to our lives. See, that's the other half of the equation. We have to, you know, hear it, believe it. It has to go from our head to our hearts, and then it has to go to our hands and feet. We have to live out that truth. Both sides are necessary. If we only hear it and have all this head knowledge but don't live it out, then we're, we believe and we'll tell others what they should be doing. But, of course, our life doesn't match that at all. That's called hypocrisy, right? That undermines the transformational power of Christ and it undermines our witness of the gospel when we do that. Got to have both parts there. So these professing Christians had heard the truths of the gospel again and again and again, but they stopped applying the truth of that gospel to their lives. In other words, they had all kinds of knowledge about Jesus, but they had never received him 
as their Lord and Savior. They had never surrendered their life, if you will, to Christ. So what would have been the next step in growth after hearing the gospel should have been salvation. They should have heard that message and then believed that message. They received it in joy and then applied it to their lives. But that's not what happened. That came to a screeching halt because they had become lazy, sluggish. They had heard that message. They kept hearing that message, but they quit applying it to their lives. In fact, he says, by now in verse 12, you should have been teachers. Not only should you be uh, growing in Christ, not only should you have applied that message and now be saved and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit growing, by this point, this is about six years later, you should be teachers now. Other new converts should be coming in. You should be able to teach them what you know in Christ. He says that's not happening. He says actually in verse uh, 12, he's in chapter 5, he says, For through by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you what? The elementary principles, the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk, not solid food. He says that oracles or elementary principles is the ABCs. He said, you... You, you can't, you haven't even, you're not past the ABCs yet. You're still on the very basic things. And he's going to explain to them how basic those are coming up in chapter 6. So he's referring to their elementary teaching of the Old Testament, which the Jews should have already understood by now. He's telling them they need to move beyond their basic understanding of the Old Testament uh, truth to a more mature understanding of that truth in Christ. He says, I want you, you should, by now, you should be able to have understood the things that we were doing under the old covenant and what those were pointing to in Christ. By now, you should be able to connect those dots, but you're not. You're still back here. You still want to re keep rehashing these old things again and again. You don't want to let go of those and embrace the full truth in Christ. You still want to hang on to these and just add Christ in. And he says, you can't, you can't do that. You're trying to tread water spiritually. That's impossible for you to do. You can't tread water spiritually. You're either moving forward or you're falling away. There is no such thing as treading water spiritually. He's telling them, you need to move beyond that. They heard these wonderful truths. They accepted them for a while as truth, but they ceased applying them to life. So instead of growing in grace and knowledge, he says, you're not growing and you're not standing still. Here's what you're actually doing. You're falling back. How far back are you falling? You're falling all the way back to the very basic principles of what we would teach somebody new to Judaism. That's how far. That's where you're stuck right now. He's very, very difficult on them. Look at verse 13 then in chapter 5. Uh, let me get the right chapter here. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant or a baby. So the author of Hebrews states what you really need is not more rehashing of the same Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant truths, but a deeper understanding of what those mean in Christ. That's what you really need. They needed solid food. That's what he's calling solid food. He said, you're still on milk over here. Like a baby, you should be, you should be eating solid food right now. Who is eating solid food? The mature are eating solid food. So in contrast to the baby who's still on milk, you should be over here now. You should be over here. 
They needed solid food. In this context, that solid food means a deeper understanding of the truths of Jesus that were promised in the Messiah. They already know that he's the promised Messiah. They had already accepted that fact. But they still want to cling over here. They still want Aaron as their high priest and Christ as their high priest. The author of Hebrews saying, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. You still want to cling to these old things over here. You need to move beyond those. Those were just a shadow. They were just pointing to Christ. Christ has already came. He's already fulfilled that. He's already accomplished that. You need to embrace that truth and move forward. Press on, he says, to maturity. So he points to their lack of experience in the word of righteousness. And indeed, if you have no experience in the word of righteousness, he says you're an infant, you're a baby, you're a child, you're immature. Uh, Those professing believers who were trusting in their elementary understanding of the old covenant of faith instead of fully trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're stuck and falling back. And he says there's so much spiritual danger here, he's actually going to warn them that they could be lost eternally. They could be lost eternally if they do not respond to the truth of the gospel message. He's saying there's very dire consequences for repeatedly hearing this gospel message again and again and again and then not acting, not moving, not believing, not pressing on, not maturing. He said, I'm not just telling you that, hey, this is something you should do. Matter of fact, a little later in chapter 6, he's going to say, if you don't do these things, you could be lost eternally. Again, remember he's talking to professing believers, not believers. They are already, so he says, those who are truly saved have already embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. They, they do understand the truth uh, that Christ is better, that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. They are already digesting solid food. The author of Hebrews wants these professing believers to move beyond that basic knowledge of God from the Old Covenant to the mature knowledge of God through his Son in the New Covenant. And then he wants them to apply these things to their life. He wants them to put them into practice. Which brings us to chapter 6, verse 1. The author just gets done admonishing them for being babies. That's what he called them in verse 11 through 13. If you want a snapshot, he said, grow up, press on, mature. You're still clinging to the old things. Then he encourages them in verse 14... Be solid, be mature, do it, you can do it. Then in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6, this is the how-to section. This is what you're clinging to that you need to let go of and embrace the fuller truth. That's what he's going to say in verses 1 through 3. This is the how-to section. Look at verse 1, the very first word there is, therefore, right? Therefore, which points us to what previously was said. Again, based On their spiritual condition as babies, as infants, the author lays out exactly what they need to do to become mature adults. Here's what you need to do to be perfected. The word is teleos, perfected, complete. Here's what you need to do. The first word is leave, and the second word is translated press on. You need to leave these things and press on 
to these things. Okay, I told you last week you should underline those words, right? They're the key to understanding what's going on here. Now look at that first word, to leave, aphentes. That word means to leave completely or to put off or to forsake. I think the best word there is abandon. Let us abandon. Abandon what? The elementary teaching about the Christ, about the Messiah. Move from there. Leave those. Those were just a shadow, just a picture, just a basic understanding. Leave those and press on to maturity. In other words, the Greek translation literally is this. Leaving the beginning teaching of the Messiah, press on to completion. That's literally what it says. Move beyond the beginning teaching about the Messiah in the Old Covenant. Press on to full maturity. Press on to full completion as a fully mature Christian. That's what he's saying here in verse 1 which, of course, would come in and through understanding Christ. So the first step in coming to maturity, the first step of pressing on to maturity in and through Christ is the act of leaving or abandoning these old elementary principles. He says you've got to leave those behind. Now remember, I explained to you last week, a lot of people think that this passage is speaking to believers and telling them to leave the basics and move and press on. But nowhere in Scripture are we told to abandon what we came to faith in with initially. So he's not talking to believers, or he wouldn't be telling us to abandon them, forsake them, leave them behind. But what specifically are these elementary teachings about Christ that they should abandon? He has six things he wants to point out that they need to let go of and then embrace the fuller meaning of. Let go of what they meant in Judaism and embrace what they mean in Christianity. Let go of those, embrace these. Remember I told you there's, there's three sets of two things, right? Couplets, three sets of two couplets. The, each of those go together. Each set, if you know, if you look at them, you have a beginning thing when you first come to salvation. Then you have a middle when you make your full conversion into Christ. And then you have an end. So he's got, here's the beginning, here's the middle, here's the end. These little couplets. Okay, The first is the elementary teaching of repentance from dead works and faith in God. Repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. Right? I repent of my sin. Repent means turn away. I turn away from my sin in faith to God. I repent, turn away, turn to in faith to God. Okay? Repentance and faith. Same side, or two different sides of the same coin. The second is instruction about washings and laying on of hands. Those two things go together. The third couplet is resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Okay. Now, remember I told you these six teachings are identical to a Jewish catechism. What's a Jewish catechism? A catechism are the basic instructions you would teach somebody who's a new convert. So you would say, here's what you need to know if you're a Gentile and you're thinking about becoming a Jew. Here's the six things we're going to teach you. These six things. So these were the basics of coming to Judaism. So what the author of Hebrews is saying, here's... You're still over here, what we would teach somebody brand new to the faith. 
these six things, you're still stuck on what they mean in Judaism and have not embraced what they mean in Christianity. You're still a baby. You're still a baby. Remember, we sometimes we'll call somebody a baby Christian. You ever heard that? Well, they're still a baby Christian. They're still a new, new Christian. Well, that's what he's saying here, except he's saying, you're still thinking, and your level of maturity is like a, somebody brand new to the faith in Judaism. You're still stuck over here, when by now you should be fully mature in Christianity, but you're still clinging to these things over here. So he says, uh, these six teachings are what the Jews would use for the basic teaching for someone to convert to Judaism. These are the basics. You would have been taught about these before being baptized and accepted into the Jewish church 2,000 years ago. Each item here is from a Jewish context, but they take a deeper, fuller meaning in Christ. So it's necessary then, the point of these here is that they do not represent anything but the barest essentials of what it meant to come to Judaism, he's using that as an example of where they're stuck. It's necessary to go from the knowledge of these basic truths in the Old Covenant to the fuller understanding in Christ in the New. So specifically, it's that fuller understanding of these elementary teachings with Christ as their great high priest that will actually lead them from head knowledge to a heart response, so that they'll come to faith. So the first one here, look at that. Leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on the maturity, not laying again, a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. This again, remember from last week, he's speaking primarily to a Jewish audience, turning away from the dead works of the law, which they was never going to be saved by, uh, at their doomed attempt at self-salvation. In other words, leave that thought that by your sacrifice, by those sacrifices you were bringing to the temple, or by the rituals or the feast, that that's what was saving you. You need to leave that behind. Those dead works, those dead rituals, leave those behind. Quit clinging to those. The instruction would have also included turning away from your personal sin. So it would have been both, right? They were trusting in these rituals and feasts and sacrifices, thinking that's what saved them. The author of Hebrews is saying, no, that's not what saved you. What actually saved you was faith in God, by grace, through faith. So a Jewish convert then had to engage in an act of repentance. Conversion would have included repentance, which was a conscious turning away from the old way of life. Then second, repentance was to be coupled with faith in God. Turning away, turning to, just turning for the dead works would accomplish nothing because repentance has to be joined with faith. So a personal relationship of trust in God. Salvation has always been by faith. So the first two are about salvation. That's the very beginning. Notice verse 2, then, is our next couple. Of instruction about washings and laying on of hands. So that's our next couplet. So some of you may have the word baptism here. You may have the word baptism in your translation. The translation baptism ought to be rendered washings or cleansing rites. Why do I say that? Because the word that's used here is the Greek word baptismos, which is plural. It's a plural washing. That word 
Nowhere in the New Testament is the plural word baptismos used with a New Testament baptism. It's baptism in the New Testament is always singular. Why? Because there's only one baptism, one faith, right? One God, one baptism, one baptism. So the word there is actually baptisma, which is singular, not baptismos. Every time that word in the plural is used, it's always translated washings, washings. She would say, well, why do I have, why do I have the word baptism here? Well, if you're a translator and you believe that this is talking to believers, then you want this to speak about New Testament truths as opposed to Old Testaments. And so you translate that way, hoping to make that understand, help you to understand that. All right. So in all four instances in the New Testament where that plural word is used, it refers to ceremonial washings or ritual cleansings. In Judaism, under the Old Covenant, these ceremonial cleansings were external. They're external washings. They were meant to symbolize a clean heart. But the new covenant called for a different kind of washing, doesn't it? Not an external washing, but an internal washing. Keep your place in Hebrews here. Go back a couple chapters to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but, or in contrast to that, according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. There's our word, Washing. This is a washing of regeneration. That's he's talking about an internal washing, right? Having our hearts cleansed internally, not externally. Turn, if you will, to First uh, Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. Verse nineteen. Well, let's pick it up in verse 18 for context. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits, now in prison. Verse 20. Who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah... During the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, being brought safely through the water, is what he's talking about here, of how God safely put a remnant, eight people, in the ark, closed the door of the ark, safely brought them through. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Eight people went in that ark and went through the whole judgment, yet were unharmed. That's very similar then 
to Christ's salvation. That's what he's pointing to. He's not talking about water baptism saving you. That's why he specifically says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. He says, I'm not talking about the ritual washing that you have externally. Is That's not what saves you. It's actually your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The baptism is just a testimony to that. That's what he's saying there. It's not the ritual of baptism that saves you. It's your appeal to God. It's by faith that you get into the ark safely. In this case, a picture of Jesus. By faith in his death and resurrection. That's why we say in Romans 6, when we baptize someone, right? Buried with Christ in death, raised to walk in the newness of life, right? That is a picture of death, spiritual death being under the ground, right, under the water, and then being raised to walk in the newness of life. It's a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and how we're united to him in those things. Our our identification with Christ as our Lord and Savior is based upon his death, burial, and resurrection into our spiritual baptism into Christ. One time. The author of Hebrews is saying, listen, look, you have to move beyond these ritual cleansings and washings and thinking that that's what gives you a a clean heart before God. None of those things do. They were just a picture pointing to what would happen when through the washing of the word, through the washing of regeneration, which you put your faith in Christ, you would be cleansed internally forever. Forever. Therefore, there's no condemnation in you. You would be cleansed. You would have a righteousness before God. Not based on your washing, but based on your faith. He's saying, listen, it doesn't do us any good to keep rehashing these washings and rituals if you don't embrace the truths of what is now available to you, this inner cleansing of the heart through Christ. He's saying it's time to let that go and to come to maturity. Isn't that exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Remember that? John chapter 3, verse 5. Unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's an internal regeneration that must occur, not an external one. It's a washing. Notice the second part of this couplet. Laying on of hands. Don't get all... Uh, you know, in the New Testament, there's lots of different things that happen with the laying on of hands, but the context here is the Old Covenant. What would the Old Covenant, what did that symbolize in the Old Covenant? When you would bring your sacrifice to the priest to make an offering for your sin, the priest would place his hands on that animal. What for? He was, in essence, saying, these sins, your sins, are now identified with this animal. And so when they would shed the blood for the remission of sins, that animal then represented being put to death for the sins. Following me? So it's always about identification in the Old Testament. So through the shed blood of sacrifice, all of that was pointing to what? All of that is pointing to the shed blood of the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice that through his shed blood would take away the sin of the world. Not just that sin, but all sin, past, present, and future, for those who place their faith in his atoning work on the cross on their behalf. Again, the author of Hebrews is saying what? He's saying, let go of these old rituals. Let go of those. Those were just a picture pointing 
to Christ. Let go of those things. Let it go. Isn't there a new song like that? Let it go, let it go. All right, that's what he's saying. Let it go. Let it go. I had a brain freeze. No, I'll just let it go. All right. In fact, he's saying it could hinder your salvation if you believe that you're laying on the hands of that animal sacrifice is what actually saved you. He's saying if you're going to lay your hands on anything, lay your hands upon Jesus Christ. Let go of these old rituals. Let go of those old ceremonies. Cling to Christ and what that means. The last one here, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Once again, both of these teachings were part of basic Judaism. Turn to Job chapter 19. Job 19. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. Job is the book right before Psalms. For many of you, be those crisp, white, clean pages there in the book of Job. Job 19, verse 25. I just, I'm kidding. Hopefully they're all marked up, underlined, lots of notes, a couple coffee stains. Job 19, verse 25. Job says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed... Yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Here Job is speaking about the resurrection of the flesh. Now on your way back to Hebrews, stop off in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Okay, got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who asleep in the dust in the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is talking about a future judgment. So you have the basics of how somebody would have understood in Judaism that there was uh, eternal life, right, and judgment. That was their basic understanding. That's what they had. They believed in a general revelation. Uh, but here, of course, now the New Testament teaches, really fleshes that out. We know a lot more about all the different resurrections. We know exactly what's going to happen. For example, John 11. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Also from 2 Corinthians 5.10, we know that Jesus is not only the resurrection, he's the righteous judge. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So again, we know more about the judgment. We know that the Bema seat is a judgment for believers, right? 
We know the great white throne judgment is a judgment for unbelievers. We know a lot more than they know now. Once again, the author is pointing to these basic doctrines that are part of the teachings for any new convert to Judaism, and he's saying, quit clinging to these ABCs and embrace the truth in Christ. Remember, he was talking about Melchizedek, and he stopped in the middle and said, your babies. You need to understand that Christ is your great high priest, but you're not comprehending that because you're still clinging to these basics. By now, you should be fully on your way as a believer. He's admonishing them for not moving beyond these fundamentals, which were but a shadow of what they knew in Judaism. Maybe it's because they were so close, these same elements in Judaism and Christianity. Maybe they were thinking, well, I can keep both. I can still do my ceremonial washings and be baptized one time in Christ. The author of Hebrews is saying, no. No, it doesn't work that way. Look at verse 3 then, back in our text in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3. A very difficult verse. Lots of interpretations. He says this, And this we will do if God permits. Okay. Lots of debate about this verse, my friends. Some think the we is a reference to the author of Hebrews. In other words, if God permits me to keep on teaching you to aid in your maturity, it will happen. Some people think that's what it means. Others believe this refers to the professing Christians. In other words, if God will enable you to comprehend through his gracious empowerment, then you will be able to press on to maturity. Both are true. Both are true. But understanding whether God will permit these professing Christians to press on to maturity is crucial for you to understand what he's about to say in verses 4 through 8 in that warning. This verse is very similar in context to the warning. Remember what in Hebrews chapter 3 we were talking about this morning, the wilderness wanderings? Do you remember that? They were not able or not permitted to enter God's rest. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. Just back a couple pages. Remember what God said? As I swore in my wrath, what? They shall not enter my rest. And notice that the beginning back in chapter 6, verse 4. See those first few words there? For in the case of those. Those, that for, that little conjunction there, connects us to what he just said in verse 3, if God permits. Those two things go together. So the sense of this verse then is this. We will press on to completion if God permits. For we know about those in the wilderness generation whom God did not permit to press on and enter the promised land. Now you might be thinking, surely God would permit all of us to enter the promised land, wouldn't he? Or would he? This is the very question raised by those words, if God permits. This is not some pious wish. These words, if God permits, are the fulcrum for what he's about to warn, beginning in verse 4. It's the point he's trying to raise here. 
about those professing believers who are right at the edge and not stepping forward. But more on that next time. Here's what I want you to remember from these verses as we head into our warning passage next time. The author of Hebrews wants his listeners to move beyond those elementary truths, even that were taught even to the newest convert to Judaism. Yes, those doctrines in their, in their elementary form, they now should have a better, more complete, more mature understanding of them through Christ. It was true, if it, it was in true saving faith that the Holy Spirit would illuminate their understanding and carry them along. There's no such thing as clinging to those old basics of the old covenant and coming to maturity in Christ. They needed to move forward, press on. Remember that word, fair on, means to be carried along. How are you carried along to maturity in your understanding? Yeah, you have to be, first of all, saved. And the Holy Spirit illuminates that text carries you along in your understanding as you yield to the leading of the Spirit. He's saying you cannot mature until you take that first step. And that first step is not just professing Christ, but surrendering your life to Christ. Making that final step where you're embracing the gospel message. They needed to leap into the deep water of obedience and understanding through salvation. Now remember, that could only happen, but not if they were sluggish in applying these truths to their lives. They had to believe them and embrace them and then apply them to their lives. At one time, they had received the word with joy. Remember when we looked at the parable of the soils, right? And the rocky soil. It says at one time, the word was received with joy. That's their profession of faith. But then what happens? Do you remember? When persecution arised, they fell away. That's exactly what's happening to this little group right here. They made their profession of faith, but then when trouble started to come their way, when persecution started ramped up, they backed away. They quit applying those truths to their life. And they said, can't I just keep one foot in the Christian world and one foot in the Old Testament? The author of Hebrews is saying, no, there's no such thing as treading water or splitting the baby, if you will. You're going to have to make a decision of which way you're going to go. But before you make that decision, he's saying, I want you to know there are very dire consequences for hearing this gospel truth again and again and again and never, ever embracing it in faith. That's what he's about to warn them with. Many ladies use timers when cooking, don't you? So that you know when things are done. I remember my mom used to have that little white timer there on the end, you know, ding, ding, ding. And at the end, everybody, bing, let's go. Let you know that everything is done. And all the time, although that time indicates that the cooking time is over, if you were baking a cake, is that it? The, the timer goes off, you just pull it out and say, okay, it must be done. What's the next thing you do? They pick like a little toothpick in there or whatever, right? Always got to make sure that it's, it's actually done. On the appearance, it sure looks good. sure looks like it's done. From my perspective, it sure smells like it's done. Those cookies must be ready or that cake. But that was a test, wasn't it? It was a test to see if it actually is done or not. 
The timer goes off when a dish should be ready, but the toothpick is really make sure that the job is done. Sometimes things can look like they're done on the outside, but still be rare on the inside. They're not done all the way through. Many Christians look done on the outside. They come all dressed up for church. They come carrying their Bibles. They know all the Christian lingo. But God doesn't just look at the outside, does he? He looks at the inside. And he has his own test to make sure we're done all the way through. God's got us on a timer, beloved, but when, but when we should be done, he doesn't just stop there. He wants to make sure you're fully, not just made a profession of faith, but you've fully surrendered your life to Christ. He tests the inside, too, to make sure we're done and really, truly have entered his rest. Beloved, if you're here today and you've made a profession of Christ, of faith in Christ, but you've slipped away, going through the motions, not really sure of your salvation, I would encourage you today to not leave before you are absolutely sure that you're a child of the King. Do not presume upon God's grace. Do not assume about your salvation. Do not harden your heart to the gospel message. Don't come all the way to the edge of salvation and then back away. I would encourage you, come all the way to faith in Christ. Surrender it all and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Do not harden your heart yet again to the truth of the gospel. Come to Jesus and enter his rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the challenge from your text. Lord, it's been heavy hitting here as we've been walking through these warning passages as they always are. Lord, they're deep theologically and they challenge us to really make sure that we understand who we are. Are we indeed children of the King? Do we have the full assurance of your spirit? Do we know? Lord, I... No, this is in here. It's in your book of Revelation. It is in your revelation to us and your holy word for a reason. Lord, that's because you really don't want to see what's going to happen as you prophesied in Matthew 7, where many will come to you and say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. Oh, Lord, I had all the external trappings of a Christian. But inside, I never knew you. I pray, Lord, there's not a single person here today who will hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. I pray, Lord, we have the full assurance, know exactly who we are in our faith. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word, even when it steps on our toes. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.